This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Empire. Deal back to Hachimura. Um, first off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. It was more just shocking to hear from him and understanding that he gets the most assists from me and the most spoon-fed baskets ever. You know, the culture is actually damn good. To sit up there and to say you don't have a culture problem in the nation's capital, everything about the organization points to a culture issue. One guy took his in another guy's shoe. I'm a little pissed off about it, but I know how I am. I was kind of expecting it. It's disrespectful. It was like Eric Killmonger going for total domination. What's up, is my? We're not going to be fucking sunk this year with the Stanley Cup champions! This podcast is all over social media, so follow us on Twitter at Beltway Bro Pod, Instagram at Beltway underscore sports underscore bros underscore podcast. Also, the Facebook group, just search Beltway Sports Bros Podcast. And you can also find us at BeltwaySportsBros.com. There's a podcast player right on the front page. If someone you know doesn't want to or know how to download a podcast app or even knows what a podcast is, just tell them to go to the website and hit play. Simple as that. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining the Beltway Sports Bros. This is Noel Vizana, and this is a special holiday edition, and I'll be running solo today. Matt's on Christmas vacay, so... I figured I will give you all a gift of a podcast and you'll be able to hear my beautiful voice all to yourselves. So, um, done my Christmas shopping. Everything's done. I'm ready to go. I'm totally vested in this. And later on in the show, we're going to have Wizards Insider, Matt Moderno. We'll kind of go over preview of the season and see where we think the Wizards are going to stack up against the rest of the league. So first, we'll start out with a little bit of Washington football team stuff. I know it's a little late in the game, but kind of give what I thought about a little reaction of the Seattle game and we'll kind of go from there see where the see where the time takes us that's when you're by yourself you have the benefit of doing whatever the hell you want to do so first go into the Seattle game you know I'm not down on it it's unfortunate that's the only thing that I will take from it unfortunate they had opportunities I mean the second half they dominated the ball on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively. What the most glaring thing of the game, and I kept harping on it with Matt when we're watching the game, is I knew that extra point was going to come and bite us in the ass. And it did. I'm about done with Hopkins. He had the game of his life the previous week, hit a few bombs, but that extra point was huge. It just was. They've scratched and clawed their way back into the game, and... On that final drive, you could tell they had to press because why? They had to go for the touchdown. They drove down the field, but still they were going pass heavy. They couldn't incorporate any draws. Not that they were running the ball very successfully during the game to begin with, but still they couldn't keep Seattle off balance. Then on top of that, they they would have been in field goal range. They gave up the two sacks. The first sack, even after that, would have kept them in field goal range. It would have been a 47-yarder. But what did they need to do after that? They needed to get big chunks back. And Dwayne drops back to pass, sacked again. Which in that situation on a 47-yard field goal, they probably would have run a, a draw play or run the ball, maybe get a few few of those sack yards back. But they had to drop back and pass. And it cost them. Why? Because they needed to go for the touchdown. And that's really what cost them at the end. Throughout the game, initially going back to the first half, They were getting gouged on the run, and that's what we talked about. Carson and Hyde, especially Carson initially, were gouging them and gashing them for yardage that put Wilson into manageable situations, and that cost them dearly initially. I don't know why the game plan is the way that it is initially when the game starts, but as the game progressed, obviously they found a way. They were still giving up yardage on the run, but not in chunks that they were before. They were keeping the information in front of them. But in that first half, man, it looked like the Seahawks were going to roll. 
And I think everybody felt the same way. Uh, that interception was huge. It stifled a drive at one point when they were pushing down the Seahawks were pushing down the field again. But the defense was too inconsistent in the first half. Second half, absolutely freaking killed it. Killed it. Wilson had 121 total yards in the game passing. Did you think that that would happen? Did you think that Wilson having 120 yards, 21 yards passing and not being sacked a single time that Washington would lose that game? I said before, I thought, hey, let their biggest player beat you. Don't let the rest of them. And what happened was Carson was beating them initially. Metcalf was having a decent day at times, made some big plays. But to keep Wilson in check the way that they did and not really getting a whole lot of pressure on him because he was passing the ball and getting it out so fast. It was amazing what the defense could do. It really was. And I really praised them for it. The D line, you know, they kept, they kept things in front of them. They couldn't get to Wilson, but they did other things. I mean, shit, the sweat tap yet again, yet again. And then Deron Payne coming up with a great interception, huge, they did everything they possibly could to keep Washington in the football game. And they did. And the offense woke up in the second half. And I'll tell you, Dwayne looked like shit in the first half, but he totally turned it around in the second half. He made plays. Instead of making those bonehead throws and trying to force things, he ran the ball a couple of times. He looked good. He really did. I had confidence in him in the second half. Fortunately, they came up short. Seattle's a good football team. And they dominated them in the second half. Unfortunately, they just didn't win the game. Like I said, it was just unfortunate. I'm not mad about it. It would have been nice because the rest of the season to win the division would have almost been a walk. And now they have to fight a little bit. And that's okay. They showed that they can play with the better teams. They really did. If there were an extra few minutes in that game or they could have tied it up and gone into overtime because of that extra point. I think they would have won the football game. I think Seattle was a mess in the second half and they didn't know what to do. And you're looking at one of the glaring issues was I said that they weren't going to be able to run the ball and they didn't. McKissick had 51 yards in the game. Gibson, I think, and I in the previous show, I said that he probably wasn't going to be that big of a need because most teams can't run against Seattle anyway. Well, there were a few runs there that McKissick had an opportunity. And Peyton Barber had an opportunity, and they didn't take advantage of them. And those yards after contact were not there. Tribute to Seattle's defense, because they plug it every single time. But there were a couple of things that that offense could have done with Gibson out there that they couldn't do with McKissick and Barber. And you could see that in the game. As far as Washington's offense, again, they knew what they needed to do in the second half. They sped up the offense, and Haskins looked good. He did. He looked serviceable. I don't think Smith in the second half could have done anything better than what Haskins did. First half, totally different story. Second half, I think Haskins showed that he was able to produce offense. And I'll stick to that. Whether that's the case moving forward and it's too inconsistent and these interceptions are putting him behind the eight ball, that remains to be seen. But Alex also, even prior to the streak and prior to the winning game, he was picking balls off. He was putting Washington's defense in bad situations. It happens. And they either need to accept that or they need to move on from the guy. But I think he showed some character coming back from those two picks. And I have confidence that the offense can play well. So we'll see. Uh, they're going to have a test against Carolina coming up. We'll see how that goes. But I'll move on to that in a minute. Um, as far as the Seattle game, again, not the result we wanted based on mistakes that could have been prevented. That game was winnable and there's solace in that. So I'm happy with it. So I have no complaints. It's just clean up the bullshit. That's all. Clean up the bullshit. And I think they'll, they're will they going to be fine. I think this defense has found its niche. They just need to put a full game together and they got to figure out this run defense. They've just got to. I don't know if it's a coaching thing. They're talking about these gaps that they have to hit and all this crap. Well, at some point, you got to coach them up even more. And I, I don't know what the solution is. I'm not a coach. I'm not a player. But I know that that is going to be their Achilles heel, and it has been. Anyway, moving on to some more current news. What in the fuck? Speaking of Haskins, and you know what? 
I'm sick of this shit. I've defended this dude since day one to the point that I was having almost an aneurysm with Matthew on the air, with everybody talking about he doesn't have it, this, that, Alex coming back and all this shit. Since we've been doing this podcast, I have been in his corner. And this guy, really, dude, after a loss on a Sunday, you felt the fucking need to go to a strip club. Now he denies that it was a strip club. No, no, it was my girlfriend's birthday party. There were more than 10 people there, whatever it is. I don't know how the fuck the rumor was that it was a strip club, if it was or if it wasn't. This is your opportunity, man. You finally got back in the lineup. You showed some fight in the second fucking half. What are you doing? What are you doing? You know, it's like being at a job, right? And, you know, you bust your ass on a day-to-day basis, right? And you see there's people around you that don't do shit all day. That just coast, collect a check, do what they got to do to survive, to make it to the weekend. And that's fine. Whatever gets you through the day, man. I happen to like to produce. It makes the day go by faster. But I'm not going to criticize how people act and how they want to go through their day. But when it starts to affect me... And make me look bad. If there's a situation where I need this lazy asshole to do something. And it affects the way I am performing. That's when I go fucking nuts. And I will go nuts. The reason why I say this is because I have defended Haskins since day fucking one. And now he's making me look like the asshole. Screw him. I've defended him. I've had arguments with my brother about it. I've had arguments with other people about it. Oh, no, he's young. He's got the tools. He's got this. He says the right things at times. He's a smart kid. Look at the Ohio State interviews that he's done. And this asshole makes me look like a fucking chump. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. And that's what pisses me off about it. Fuck you, Dwayne. You had to go out that bad after a loss. Even after a win, what do you need to celebrate it? Dude, you're a first round fucking pick. You had your owner in your goddamn corner to press to get you. Got your ass benched. And then you come out and do this shit after you finally squirm your way back into the lineup with a reluctant coach that only puts you in out of sheer necessity. What the fuck is wrong with you? So now what? Honestly, I genuinely believe your ass would have been cut if Alex Smith wasn't walking around on one leg and they didn't know what the hell was going on with his leg. You were stripped of your captain title. You were fined 40 grand. You're apologetic and you did the wrong thing. No shit. You knew you were doing the wrong thing when you were doing it. When you weaseled your way out. And this ain't the first time that you breached protocol on COVID. That shit about you getting a hotel room for your boy or your girl or whoever the fuck it was. Really, man? Really? This is where you're going with things. You're done, dude. You're not that good, especially right now. You're nothing but a Johnny football. That's how people see you when people are hypersensitive because of the Johnny Manziels of the world. You fuck up once, you bench your ass. You fuck up twice, bye. Nobody wants to deal with this shit. You might be a nice person. Great. But I bitched about Rivera in your defense. I made myself look like an idiot. I've shit on Rivera. I've shit on your coaching staff. I've shit on Scott Turner for not doing shit the right fucking way. Not that you have to prove anything to me, but you just make me look like an asshole. Fuck you, Dwayne. And I think you're done, dude. I know I'm done. I hope you do well. And you know, one of the right people on this whole thing that was never excited to have you? An 11-year-old that's in my house. He saw the character flaws and the flaws of you being a quarterback. I defended you tooth and nail to an 11-year-old. You want me to tell him that you were at the strip club? Bullshit, man. And you should be ashamed of yourself. So that's all I got to say about that. He's probably going to have to start this week. Don't know exactly where Alex is. But dude, you're starting out of sheer necessity at this point. If you do. You're totally written off, I believe, in the eyes of Rivera. If you you weren't written off completely before. That was it. Checkmate, son. Checkmate. Moving on to other bullshit. We got the Pro Bowl. I'm happy to say I'm pretty surprised. I know he's going to be a perennial Pro Bowler, but congrats to Chase Young. I didn't expect it, and I didn't expect Brandon Sheriff to make it. 
hobbling around all, half the season. Great guard. But man, they let these offensive linemen in just on name alone, don't they? Shit. I didn't expect. I was like, damn. On top of that, a starter to boot. Like, really? He's been that much of a beast? I like the guy. But shit. Starting guard? Okay. Now, the Chase Young thing was surprising. Because I think he's a great player, and he's going to continue to get better. Sky's the limit for him. Huge fan, man. Totally awesome. Love it. Love everything he does. But you can't tell me that he's had a better season than Montez Sweat this particular year. Sweat has more sacks. Seven sacks to 5.5. More tackles for losses. Tip balls all over the damn place. Has a touchdown. Yeah, Chase has one too. But Sweat set up his own touchdown. He tipped it and intercepted and fucking put it in for the into the end zone. Chase Young made a great play, scooped the ball up and ran it in. And this isn't a knock on Chase. Hell, I think both of them should have made it. But you can't tell me that Montez Sweat, just based on sheer numbers and impact on games as well, doesn't deserve to be in the Pro Bowl. There's no way on God's green earth. The guys that made it over him, Brandon Graham and Cameron Jordan, the two starters, they have the same numbers as him. And this defense is one of the best in the league. But if I had to choose this year, fan and the player I like more, Chase. The one that deserved to make the Pro Bowl, Montez. That's just my personal opinion on it, but I think he got screwed. I think he got hosed. Another one that a lot aren't talking about. Everybody's talking about Terry McLaurin, and I'll get to that one. Deron Payne. Amazing year. He's basically their only D-tackle. Jonathan Allen is undersized. He's a big D-end. Deron Payne has stuffed the middle the best that he could. The only thing that probably sabotaged him is this team shit against the run. He has forced fumbles, tackles for loss, everything. They were put in Grady Jarrett out of the Falcons over him. Numbers are comparable. You can't tell me that Washington's defense isn't better. And what about record? I remember when record used to count for something as far as making all-star games and Pro Bowls. Used to count for something. They used to be part of it. The Falcons are garbage. The Falcons are shit. The Falcons have given up lead after lead after lead this season. Why the fuck is he in there? We have one of the top defenses in the league. And we've been playing excellent ball now. Not the first couple games of the season where it goes cold on people's minds. Now, one guy makes the fucking Pro Bowl from our defense? One guy. Garbage. Terry McLaurin. This is the one that's a little bit more dicey. This is the one that probably gets people a little bit more fired up because everybody loves Terry. I think he's a pro bowler, deserves it. Character, captain, does everything right, hustles down, great run blocker, does everything. But wide receiver spot in the NFC is pretty damn competitive, man. You're looking at Devontae Adams, probably the best receiver in the league this year. DeAndre Hopkins, beast. Then you get a little bit more even. DK Metcalf, But he has more catches and more yards. He's got 200 yards more than than McLaurin does. More catches too. He's had a great year. We saw it against Washington. The guy is a freaking beast, man. The only one that's questionable is the Justin Jefferson pick that they chose. They must have gone on stats. He has less targets and more catches and more yards. So it's not crazy if you look at it now. The defense of me to have Terry over a guy like Justin Jefferson is this. Consistency at quarterback, idiots. What about that? Jefferson has a few more catches and a few more yards than McLaurin does with a guy that's been, whether we hate him or not, at least he knows who the fuck's passing him the ball. No matter how much we hate him, he's a serviceable quarterback and you know what you're getting and you know he's going to throw the ball around. Terry's been dealing with Dinkin and Duncan assholes and guys that don't know how to throw the ball to him. And he's still one of the top receivers in the fucking league. That should count for something. Apparently it didn't. So that's where really I'm at. And Ahmed Sharayan again. Tress Way deserved to fucking make the Pro Bowl too. Not having as good a year as he did last year, but his net yardage is top three. Based on the fact that he has helped this Washington's defense and helped this Washington's offense field positioning wise has been enormous. You can always rely on Tress. But that one isn't one that I'm going to get really fired up about. At the end of the day, it's a damn punter. But congratulations to Brandon Sheriff and Chase Young. I wish they got some more guys in there. I think they were deserving. And apparently the name that will not be stated being changed still does not allow Washington to have some form of respect in the league as far as personnel wise. 
So that superstition can go out the damn window. Well, they're called a derogatory name. So they're probably getting the short end. They're not getting as much love. It's all bullshit. This team ain't getting love because nobody gives a shit outside of the Washington area, unfortunately. Because there's a product on the field that we're seeing. And there'll be a couple bandwagoners later on if they make the playoffs. Oh, man, this defense, nobody can stick with them. But that offense, so we'll see. Nobody wants to play them. But two pro bowlers, not acceptable. Not. Offensively, shit. Don't blame them. Fine, they want to put Sheriff in, go ahead. I would have rather a defensive player gone over Sheriff. I would have felt better about it. But it is what it is. So we'll see. So remains to be seen. End of the day, they're, pro- they're not even going to have the game anyway. So it's a popularity contest. Maybe one of them will make all pro. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so moving on to the um, game coming up. Homecoming for Riverboat. Panthers, huge game, man. You believe they moved this game to the flex? 4 p.m. They didn't do it, again, going back to because they have respect for the Washington football team or because they think that it's nobody gives a shit. Nobody cares about Carolina either. The sheer fact that they did this was to make the Dallas Philadelphia game relevant because if they were on and Washington would have won, it eliminates the Eagles and the Cowboys. Only reason why the move happened. Don't think of it in any other way because what the hell would be the point of watching the Cowboys Eagles game if they were both out? They still have a fighting chance. Okay, so now we're on at four. Fine. Doesn't matter to me. I'll be sitting in front of the TV watching it one way or the other, but it's just funny. Usually they'll move a four o'clock game because it's a big game. They want that to be the showcase. Not in this case. They actually wanted the Dallas-Philadelphia game to be the showcase. Whatever. Okay, get into the game. Offensively. Now, I don't know if Gibson is playing. I think it's going to be a game-time decision. They need him back, and they need to run the ball. Last game, Carolina played a hell of a game against Green Bay. They fought in the game. Green Bay came out kind of stale, but they were still able to run the shit out of the ball. Aaron Jones ran for 195 yards and two TDs. Run half that. If they can do that, and this young D-line is good for Carolina, but they have to press the issue. They really do. They have to press the issue. They held Aaron Rodgers to only 143 yards passing. For a Washington quarterback, that would translate to what, about 50 yards? You're holding Aaron Rodgers to 143? (laughs) It's laughable. But the weird thing is, this defense of Carolina is Jekyll and Hyde. The game before that, Drew Locke threw for four TDs. He was bombing away on this defense. And then they show up against Aaron Rodgers who passes for 143 yards. Uh, It's mind-blowing. But that's what happens when you have a young defense. You don't know what you're going to get sometimes. But this offensive line has to protect whoever the quarterback is, whether it's Haskins, Smith, me. They gave up too much pressure on Haskins last week against the Seahawks. This Carolina defense sacked Aaron Rodgers four times, and he never gets sacked. They protect him the best, one of the best in the league. So they can get to the quarterback. And if they show up like they did against the Seahawks, this O-line, they're going to have a long day. But you can pass against this team, minus Aaron Rodgers, you can bomb away. Except for a few games, you can pay pass-heavy against this team. We'll see. I think that this Carolina defense is going to come in with a lot of confidence on that Green Bay game. And they've got nothing to lose. And it's scary to go against a team that has nothing to lose. And they want to fuck up your playoff run. It's dangerous. And Washington has shown the ability not to be disciplined. So we will see. Now, as far as our defense goes, they have got to get to Bridgewater. I don't give a shit if he's throwing dink and dunk stuff and they know that this is the recipe against Washington's defense. They've got to get to this guy. He's turnover prone. He's easily sackable. They didn't get to Wilson once last week. You've got to get to this dude. He will make mistakes. And if there's a team that they can stop the run against, 
This is another one. Davis is a decent back, but he shouldn't be rolling. And I don't know what the deal is with McCaffrey. Don't know if he's coming back. That type of stuff's Matthew's job. He looks into the ins and outs of injury reports and all that. I hope he doesn't come back because in Washington lore, he'll have his coming out party. Just come back long enough. It would be stupid for Carolina to bring him back, but who the hell knows? But if he does, that's an issue, a serious issue. So in this game, if they can play disciplined on both sides of the ball, the offense doesn't need to be glam. The defense just needs to be stout like they have been and be consistent. And like we've said, and it's a no-brainer, no turnovers. Stay within the game. You're the better football team. You are. I know that it's shocking for us to say that in a lot of games, but they're better than Carolina. Carolina won't win this game. Washington will lose it. So that being said, I am going to say that Washington is going to win the game 27-13. to 13. There's no reason why they can't go in there and win this game, especially with everything that's at stake. Rivera being the former coach, I know they don't give a shit and, you know, it's not about that. But you know he wants to win it a little bit. But on top of that playoff scenarios, win the game and get out of there. You have no clue what you're going to get into with the Eagles these days. They're playing different football. They've got a different quarterback. You don't want to go into that game, a division game, final game, having a freaking scratch and claw against the Eagles. Get this one out of the way and see what happens. The Giants are playing the Ravens. There's no reason why they should win that game. Get this one done. Take some pressure off of yourselves. You've been pressure filled for a while now. Get the pressure off. Let the fans have a week off. How about that? (laughs) So that's my take on that. And I know you all are tired of probably just hearing my voice. So we're going to head over and do a little whiz talk with Mr. Matt Moderno. It's almost that time when you put your name in a grid and hope that your box hits the final score, but you don't have to wait until February to start winning. With boxes, you can play box pools every day for every game. Boxes is completely free to play and you can win big. Washington football fans who download the app from the App Store or go to boxes.com, that's B-O-X-I-Z.com, and use our code BROS20 to get free bonus boxes where you can win cash and prizes. We'll have new games every week and incredible prizes in the playoffs. And for the big game, that will include tickets to next year when fans can finally return in 2021. So go to boxes.com for more info or download the app now, B-O-X-I-Z. Use the code BROS20 when you sign up and when you enter our contest. It's free for you and your friends to get in and win. Boxes, it's anyone's game. Okay, so let's bring in our friend, and I will anoint the third bro of the show at this point. I like um, it, man. <laughs> Wizards Insider, Bullets Forever contributor, co-host of Believe in Wizards podcast, which you can listen to every Thursday with Larry Hughes, Mr. Matt Moderno. How you doing, man? Uh, I'm great. I mean, we have Wizards basketball for real to talk about. So seriously, uh, you can't beat it. Yeah. Have you done all your Christmas shopping? Everything done? You can just settle in with the Wizards games. This is all I need to worry about from here on out. Beautiful. Beautiful. Me too. I got my stuff done. Last gift was yesterday. And I was like, okay, it's pretty close to it, the wire, but not too bad. <laughs> it was a minimal one. It was kind of like one of those spur of the moment. You know what? I think that addition will be pretty good. I'll, I'll get another smile, which is all that matters, right? Is the exactly. smile on your little one's faces. Laughs and smiles. That's what it's about. Or so I hear. <laughs> so we don't have the third wheel today. Matt's out. So we oh. can just hash it out, debate it. You know, we don't really need him anyway. So we're good. Finally, an intelligent basketball conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going into uh, the Philly game. You've seen three preseason games now. I mean, only one with Westbrook, two with Beal. How are you different now after seeing the three preseason games? Are you better, worse? Are you confident, less confident in the team at this point? The reason I have no business being like anything more than like pseudo media is I just lose my mind over the littlest thing with this team. So that second preseason game, the first one against Detroit, I was ready, like ready to break everything I own because <laughs> right. they just they were so flat and and just everything they've said is how much energy they're going to play with and it was bad. Like I was you know ready to take a bath with the toaster plugged in bad. And right. then Westbrook plays in the third game and and they're uh, they're a totally different team. The energy was great and actually played hard. Which when was the last time we saw a Wizards team? play hard and like actual good basketball. So I feel a lot better actually just from that limited sample size. Well, 
am in the fifth stage of acceptance. <laughs> so I'm in acceptance now. There you, go. you know how I was on the last time I was at DEFCON 3 when it sure. came to this whole trade thing. So I've accepted it. You know, the Wizards are my team. But you know what drives me crazy about it? I think everybody needs to calm down a little bit. I was watching the Wiz game when Westbrook finally showed up. And Justin Kuchar, JK is what they like to call him. They are gushing over this dude. I know he's a great player. I know he's going to do great things for the Wiz. I really feel that. But it's like these guys didn't know how to wipe their own ass before he showed up. It Everybody's might actually excited. be true, though. <laughs> well, except for Rui. Apparently, he doesn't know how to because that's why he has oh, pink eye and is out for three weeks. That's too good. That's well played. <laughs> but... I just feel like everybody just needs to calm down. This team hasn't played together. And yes, he brings an emotional high to it. And I, I totally agree with you there. But do you think that everybody's buying into it a little bit, even the players, just because they're excited for the season to start in reality? Brad just made comments today about how, or maybe yesterday, I forget at this point, all the days sort of blur together about how this team has finally been preparing like professionals for the first time in his nine years here. The team has like a professional feel to it. I don't know how that's not like a subtle, at least under the table, middle finger at wall and, right. and everybody that was here before him. So, you know, maybe that's an ego thing. Like now that it's his team, they're taking on his, you know, approach. I don't know, but I do really think there's something to it. They just need somebody that's going to get in their face. And we talked a little bit on our show just about how many times Beal just had like awful body language last year. Like he really doesn't get any calls. It's kind of amazing for a star player how little calls he gets. But every time he didn't get a call, he just stood there palms up like he's LeBron. Yeah. And there's no defense anyway. So they can't afford a bunch of five on fours. And and now you've got Bryant doing it and all these other things. So I just don't see guys doing that with Westbrook as much. And Hachimura is not going to take a bunch of mid-range jumpers and be in Westbrook's way. Like that shit's not going to fly. So I just think somebody on the court that they're sort of, I'm maybe afraid of is not the right word, but like that they're not going to want to piss off because they clearly don't give a shit about pissing off Scott Brooks or they'd, right. they'd play the defense he supposedly pushes them to play. So I, I just think it helps from that perspective. No, I, I completely agree with you that having an aggressive guy in that locker room, because like you said, Brooks isn't sure as hell isn't going to do it. Beal can do it to a certain extent, but he still doesn't even have the respect of the refs to be that upper echelon guy. So that aspect of things, I completely understand. With Westbrook, I think his aggression is predicated on whether the team is going to win or lose. Um, you can be aggressive all you want to. If the team sucks, they suck. And eventually that starts to fall on deaf ears. That's the concerning part for me is that I see this team hovering around potentially around 500. Mm -hmm. If you have a team like that and you've got this rah-rah guy that's in your face all the time and you're not producing on the court, like, dude, what are you yelling about? You're being aggressive on the court. Yes, you're doing your part, but it's almost like Jordan yelling at beating a dead horse. And um, if you're not winning, that for me... That goes on deaf ears very easily and very quickly, especially for some of these young guys. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, if he's saying the same thing and it's not taking hold with these guys, like he's got Scott Brooks' ear and, and they're going to play the guys that are going to play the, the way he thinks they should play. I've heard a lot of joking stuff about him being a pseudo coach, but he and Beal are going to have to sync up and, and sort of drive the ship from that front. And if it's Troy's taking a bunch of bad pull-up jumpers or, or Bonga's getting beat back door for like the 17th consecutive time, like... Like, I can't see them not getting chewed out and then him pulling Brooks aside and being like, hey, this this guy's not going to do it. Right. So they've got to know that he's got Scott's ear and the stuff he tells them has to make a dent. And I don't know if they feel that way about Beal. Like, I'm not saying they do or they don't, but just somebody that you got to like. Sometimes it's kind of good to have to be on eggshells around certain guys because you're going to be on your best behavior. And, and that's what they need from these people. They, they need all, you know, they need Bryant to put the same energy into moving his feet on defense as he does beating his guy down the floor on offense. They need Wagner to not take dumb charges, you know, and, and hunt charges. They need Brooke Lopez to actually get a rebound rather than just box out all the time. Like, <laughs> I think the margin's going to be so small for this team to be successful that hopefully he inches them closer to where they need to be. And it's going to be on these guys to like actually step up and see those things through, I think. Well, speaking of the Wagners and the Bongas of the world, they played very sparingly in the third game. Mm -hmm. At this point, you would hope you have your rotation down. 
I personally see Wagner's done. I don't see him in the front line rotation, especially when Rui comes back. They might need him in a pinch. They might need that rotation on a big lineup. But Lopez looks like he's going to be the backup to Bryant. And then you've got Bertans and Rui that are going to be playing that other spot. Wagner, to me, looks like odd man out. I'm not really sure what they're going to do with the three spots still. If you start Bonga, Brown looks like he's locked in on the second lineup because the way they give him the ball and let him distribute and dribble around like a chicken with his head cut off. So I'm just wondering, who do you think made the rotation with solid minutes out of this lineup after you watched the three games? I feel bad saying this because we just had Mo on our show and he was like legitimately a great dude. But, yeah. but I think you're right. He's the odd man out for now. The, the caveat to that is practice is going to be huge for a guy like that. How does he look? How does he compete? Can he show them there that he's making progress and making strides? Because you have very few tradable contracts on the team. So if, I don't know, maybe you can milk some knowledge or wisdom out of Lopez and at the trade deadline, he's got to be cap filler to make a move. Hopefully, you know, you can have Wagner step in in a pinch in the second half of the year. I went back and looked through some old tweets just out of curiosity. And this time last year, people were saying, like, we need to cut Thomas Bryant and Mo Wagner should be the starting center of the Wizards because he started off really good and he got hurt. He came back. He had this weird role where they told him he wasn't allowed to be a stretch big. So he just sort of floated around and looked like an idiot. He didn't look like he knew how to play basketball. He looked uncomfortable. He he lost his outside shot too. I mean, he couldn't, And when he came back, he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. At least he was serviceable from the three point line Mm -hmm. when he was playing that stretch, like he said. But yeah, when he came back, he was complete fish out of water there. And they told him not to shoot those, which I don't understand. He was shooting like 40% through the first two months of the season and he cratered because if you're looking around like I'm wide open, should I shoot it? And you think about it too long, you're not going to make anything. So I don't know. I could see him working his way into it. I just saw before this that both Wall and DeMarcus Cousins may not play tonight for Houston because of COVID's concern. So all the contact tracing stuff, like a lot of guys are going to miss a lot of games. So I think the Wizards are actually reasonably deep with serviceable people. So Wagner's going to get opportunities-ish, Neto, even some Cassius Winston. Like those guys are all going to get opportunities when people have to sit. Do you think that Neto was playing that much in the preseason because they're that big of a fan or they figure Ish is that much of a veteran? I noticed in some of the things you put on Bullets Forever that Ish was probably going to be potentially traded is one of your predictions. But going back to that depth aspect of things, if you've got Westbrook, Ish, and Neto, they're playing a hell of a lot of Neto and having confidence in him. I like some of the things that he did, but I'm not that impressed to say, okay, this guy's going to be the backup point guard. I just think for stylistically, he's probably a little sturdier defensively and he's a better shooter than Ish. And that allows him to play a couple more minutes with some of these other guys and be effective off ball. If you have Ish out there, He really can't be an off-ball guy for you. Like, he's just not a good enough shooter. But I I think he's good. He's competent. He's smart. He pushes the ball. So I think he's the more likely one to get moved. Just Napier fizzled out in the bubble. But for a while, Napier played good defense and he hit threes. And there was a pretty good, like, oh, shit, we need a Napier off the bench. So maybe Neto's that guy. They have said that they're going to sit Westbrook a lot on the second night of back-to-back. So there are probably plenty of nights where it's Neto and Ish are your point guards. And and I don't know what order those start in. Maybe you start Ish and Neto stays the backup full-time. But uh, I imagine they both get a good amount of run. And then you see where you're at with Winston, the halfway point. Was Westbrook irritated by those comments about playing back-to-backs like Wall was? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I I think he was like, hey, man, let me me have an extra day in the Whirlpool and and the ice tub. You also had Jerome Robinson on there as a potential guy being traded out. And I totally agree with you there. I think he still has that could be something that they could get something because he shows these flurries and these little Mm -hmm. sparks that, oh man, he's got a little bit of a J. He can move the ball around. For me, I think the Robinson and Wagner package deal or Robinson or Robinson Lopez, like you said before, would be an opportune thing to go get themselves a legit three. Because I think that's really the glaring vulnerability for me, unless they're shuffling the lineup around. I just don't see Avdia playing in the in the first five because I want to see him on that second unit. I want him to see him going against the shittier guys at first mm-hmm. and not struggling with that first unit and, and just standing out there with his thumb up as you know what, like Otto Porter did for the first three years of his career. I think he can do it because he's a better mover of the ball. Otto is going to catch it and shoot it. 
Avdia, I think, can put it on the floor, kick it back out to somebody. He might be a better fit. But to your point, like he's going to hit a wall at some point. Every rookie does. And, and I just don't want us to be so reliant on our rookie small forward with our second year power forward with our you know third or fourth year. Set. Like It's just too much to ask of all of those guys and to ask of Beal and Westbrook to carry them. So yeah, I actually like Jerome Robinson. We, we talked about this on, on our episode for this week. And one of the things I asked Larry is every shot Jerome Robinson takes is short. It's not even just like off the front part of the rim. It is literally front rim. Yeah. And how is a pro that short on everything? He was unguardable at Boston College, like for, for a very large stretch of his time there. And I just don't understand how he can look sort of like he, he gets decent shots. He just can't seem to make anything of any any note. And, and he has been scrappy defensively. So if you can tweak that and get him to make some shots, I actually think he's a real player. Yeah, I, mean, I think he's got speed. I think he has the package. No offense to him. It's tough to look at that face on the free throw line. But the, the uh, yeah, but, beyond, but beyond that, he has sparks. I'm fearful of this. On the second lineup, if you've got Troy Brown and him, it's kind of just volume there and the ball handling is going to come out of those two guys. And you saw it with Avi on the second lineup with them, where again, he was just distributing kind of standing around and watching Troy Brown and Robinson just kind of do their thing. And I I know on the second lineup, you need to have that spark guy. You need to have that guy. That's a little bit more ball dominant. Sometimes gets points, salvages things until the starting lineup comes back in. But I don't know if those two in the combination is serviceable in the second lineup. I I just don't see it. I'm just not a Troy Brown fan, I guess, at this point. I'm done with him. Yeah, it's just hard. I actually think the jump shot there has improved, but the role and opportunity are the two most important things for sort of like those guys that are teetering toward whether or not they can contribute. And every time they roll Troy Brown out, it's for a different role. Right. First, you're three and D. Now you're a backup point guard. Now you're not a backup point guard. Now in the preseason, we want you to play power forward some. Now you're Brad's backup. Like it's a valuable skill set if you have the right people around him. So I actually think Brown looks okay next to Neto because Neto can be the floor spacer a little bit and, and things like that. He, he'd be good setting up Bertons. And, and if you have a Wagner who can shoot it, if you have a lineup that's ish, Brown, Robinson, who's not been making shots at a high rate recently, and Lopez. Like you just can't solely rely on Bertans to be the lone legitimate threat on right, the court. Right. And let's say you stagger that and now Westbrook's out there with that group. That's even worse. So the fit is going to be the biggest thing here. And, and I don't know what they're going to do. Speaking of fit, did you see that three point guard lineup that they were doing <sighs> for a decent amount of time? I'm like, what the hell? I think they were genuinely doing that just to get Westbrook more involved because they put him in with Ish and with Neto at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just like, all right, let's let Westbrook have the show for a little bit. Yeah. That's what I feel like they were doing. I don't think there's a realm of possibility that that lineup will see the floor during the regular season at all. I don't even understand why they're in such a short period of time of preseason. Why are you experimenting with lineups that make no damn sense? I honestly think it was just like roll the ball out and let all whatever five guys we need minutes, like, you know, stretch their (laughs) legs a little bit. But Brooks has done some weird rotation shit before. So it wouldn't totally surprise me if they did something kind of that one would. He's done some dumb shit, but having those three guys out there at the same time and it's not like these are big point guards you don't have a big point guard out there when Westbrook's your biggest dude it was it was the funniest lineup to see it was interesting I guess but I was like uh you got other guys that have been sitting on the bench for freaking 35 minutes and you're running this three-point guard set it made no sense to me but nothing makes sense to me sometimes when it comes to Brooks but all right let's go on to what do you think that this team's going to do this year we've said after the preseason we've looked at the team now we got Westbrook on the floor with Beal the South doesn't look that bad, man. It's, it really it's, doesn't. It's competent. Yeah. I mean, you've got Atlanta. I think they're going to be fighting for a playoff spot. The Magic are not bad. And then you got even the Hornets. So where do the Wizards stack in this whole thing? And, and where do you see them landing around the six, seven, eight spot? I think best case scenario is the six seed. Honestly, like that sounds bad to say best case scenario, but I think if everything goes well, they're in that range. I just don't see how you have barring injury, obviously how Beal and Westbrook can be on a team and have it not be a playoff team, no matter how much the middle kind of third of the Eastern conference has gotten better. 
I think the Atlanta team is sort of weird. They're another one where fit is going to be strange. Like they got pieces, but I'd expect them to make some moves and consolidate some guys. I think Orlando probably takes a step back. Losing Isaac's actually a big loss for them. They lost some like little key depth guys, you know, like the DJ Augustines and people like that. So I'm not a big Fultz believer, you know, no offense, local DeMatha fans, but there's just some weird clunky stuff there. Charlotte, Gordon Hayward will never stay healthy enough. I think this is going to be the let LaMelo ball chuck a lot year and see if we have something there. So I'm not really scared of any of those teams, but everybody is slightly more competent across the board. And and that's why I think like the Wizards could overachieve, be about a 500 team and still be in like the seven seed. Yeah, I figure Miami's a lock, Mm -hmm. I mean, to win the division, where they'll probably be in the top four seeds. But you're looking at the East. I've got Bucks, Celtics, Nets, Heat, Raptors, 76ers, Pacers, and then I've got the Wizards at the eighth spot. I don't see them looking at these lineups beyond the fact that they have one of the better backcourts in the league. But with the pieces that they have, yes, Bertans is there, that they can leapfrog any of these teams. Maybe the 76ers will falter out, but on any given night, I don't think they're better than any of these teams. Toronto is the one where like, I, I was like really high on them last year, but I feel like it just has to catch up to them at some point. Lowry has to slow down. I think Abaka was like sneaky good for them. I'm not sold on Norman Powell long-term being able to produce at the level he did last year. Even having a veteran guy like Gasol off the bench, I think was helpful. Baines has gotten nicked up a lot. It's not like he's a spring chicken. So Siakam got like abused by the Celtics in the playoffs because they just said like, all right, we're going to turn our back to you and let you shoot. Them dropping to like a seven or eight seed wouldn't surprise me. Indiana, there's some weird shit going on there. There's going to be four or five guys that all fight for touches and Warren's hurt early and is Oladipo healthy and Sabonis has had some injury history and Turner wants out and Brogdon's perpetually had some foot problems. So one of those kinds of teams just sort of falling out this year wouldn't surprise me that that's kind of, I think, what the Wizards have to hope for. Yeah, absolutely. I see them, like I said before, around that 500 best case scenario. But if I had to actually put a record on it, I'd probably say about 32 and 40 would be a record that I'm looking at with no preseason. At the end of the day, Westbrook and Beal haven't played together. They played a half of basketball. That's the concerning part. Yes, there's a lot of other teams that are in the same boat that these guys haven't meshed. But having a backcourt that's going to be your dominant, where your volume is coming from, that's concerning and could potentially start in a rough start. I think they'll find their way and get their legs. But I think that losses will come with that learning process. That's why I'm putting the record to where it is. The only devil's advocate thing I throw out to that is with all this COVID stuff, it's going to come down to having guys that are like actually responsible adults. And you're already seeing it with Houston, like Harden shows up after partying in the club and now their whole team is supposedly worried about having COVID. I just don't worry about those kinds of things with this Wizards team. I've been making a lot of jokes about the Tommy Shepard only brings in good guys thing. I actually like that, but they have to be good at basketball too. But the fact that Westbrook and Beal are just going home to be with their wife and kids every night, that actually gives them a boost, I think. And that you can have two guys that either one of them could win you a game realistically if they had to. I think that actually might help them out of the gate. Now, By the time people listen to this, they might have just gotten smashed by Philly by 32 (laughs) and all look really dumb. But that's the only case for taking the over is that they get off to a really good start uh, while a lot of these teams are sort of figuring their stuff out, too. But I think Vegas had the over under number I saw at like 33 and a half. I would take the very slight over, but I think the reasonable person would do plus or minus two, you know, in either direction there. Like if you're saying they're going to win 40 games, you're crazy. If you're saying they're only going to win 27, you're crazy. You know, it's sort of in that sweet spot. Yeah, I I think that the Westbrook factor is definitely going to enhance things. And I said this before, I think that their record is going to be maybe a game or two or three better than when if they had Wall coming out from what he was coming from. I mean, even though he looked serviceable and impressive at times with Houston, I still think that Westbrook is coming out complete guns blazing. And he does know Scott Brooks, which is a complete help. But at the end of the day, again, I'm looking at the East and I say, okay, well, this is a good conference. They've got some pieces here and the Nets are obviously going to be better than they are. There's going to be teams that I just don't see Washington be able to beat. I just want them to be a competitive team. And these young guys, Avdia and Rui, 
especially Rui, even more than Abdiya, take a jump Mm -hmm. and take that leap because they're going to need him for their future. Westbrook is kind of one of those smash and grab things that you're going to have for a few years, maybe. But these guys are going to be hopefully cornerstones of the franchise moving forward. And we've got to see that type of production even more than wins and losses. They need all three of Hachimura, Bertans, and Bryant to be considerably better this year than last year. Look at the Jimmy Butler addition to Miami. They were pretty good all year. They, I think they kind of overachieved. But then they got to the bubble and they were like, all right, after this, we're dialing in here. And then again, I still think overachieved based on like on paper talent level because they were just sort of like, all right, we're we're built for this. We're not weirded out by being in the bubble. Like I think Westbrook does that for you from just like a mindset. We don't care. It's a weird season. We're not here to party when we get to these other cities. Like travel is to travel, you know, like that's what they've got to bank on is just the professionalism helps all those other guys get better and they just sort of fall into the right places, I guess. But I don't know. It could go south too, to be honest with you. But I think they'll be a fun dumpster fire to watch. Absolutely. I agree. I think it's going to be a fun team to watch. I think they've got some gunners on the team, which can always be fun, even if you're losing. And there's nothing like watching threes. What do they say? Chicks the like the, the long ball. Who doesn't love watching Bertans, whether they're down by 20 or whatever, gunning threes from five feet beyond three-point range? So if we can get that part of it, great. I would love to see them win. I think they will make the playoffs. And yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I'm excited. I might not sound it, but I am totally excited. I'm skeptical going into it with a couple of question marks, but I think every team is. Yeah, I mean, if you're a Wizards fan and not inherently skeptical at the start of a year, you're you're drunk or high or something. Like <laughs> right. we have a lifetime of of reason to justify being skeptical. Absolutely. Well, man. On that note, hey, I appreciate you coming on, Matt. I really do. In the midst of Christmas and everything else, well, you got your shopping done, so you're good anyway. But enjoy oh, the game. And if I don't talk to you, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all that stuff. And thanks again. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Happy holidays, everybody. Well, that was fun. I have to do these solo shows more often. But again, I'd like to thank Matt for coming on. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt Moderno and at Believe in Wizards. You can also follow us on all major podcast platforms, Twitter, Instagram, all those things. And Matt will be back next week from his little holiday hiatus. I'd like to wish everybody a happy holiday. Be safe out there. Enjoy your family if you can. And we will see you next time.